the book of Matthew, chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 17 this morning. This is the genealogy of our Savior. Now, I know that the bulletin says the birth of the king is the title. But I've got written down in my notes that it's the ancestry of the king is the title of it. And I gave her the wrong title again. Uh, of course, she was asking me via text, and I was in the middle uh, of uh, making a podcast with a couple other preachers at the time, so I wasn't able to get to my notes. But either or, they both, they both were. Uh, the ancestry of the king, the, the, the birth of the king. But this morning, we're going to begin a journey through the first gospel of the New Testament, which is also the first book of the New Testament, the gospel of Matthew. And this gospel bears the name of its writer. Matthew, who explains, uh, was, excuse me, he, he, who was sometimes called Levi, excuse me, uh, and he was formerly a tax collector, all right? Matthew was handpicked by our Lord to be one of his very own disciples, one of the first 12 there. The key, uh, the key verse of the entire gospel is the very first verse, verse 1, where it says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's the key verse for the entire Gospel of Matthew. Now, everywhere else in Scripture, when a genealogy is being mentioned, um, and we see this phrase quite often, 13 times in the Old Testament, uh, matter of fact, but never once in the singular form as it is written here. Generation is always the generations of, not the generation. All right, the reason being was that God was always having to start over in having a godly heritage or a godly line due to the fact that over time, each line went pagan, some faster than others. But with the generation of Jesus Christ, all those who would be birthed, that's you and I, who would be birthed into this family would never depart from God nor his word. Amen and amen. Therefore, Matthew writes the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. And as we found, uh, we found out in our series through the Gospel of John that each gospel depicts the Lord in a different light. John painted our Lord's picture as he is the Son of God. We saw that, that theme throughout the Gospel of John. Here in the Gospel of Matthew, he paints the portrait of Christ as King or the King of Kings or the King. And we're going to see that all throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew records for us the fulfillment of Micah chapter 5 verse 2 where he writes that the coming ruler of Israel will be born in Bethlehem. We also see the fulfillment of John the Baptist, our Lord's forerunner, according to Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. And as we go on through the gospel here, we'll see many, many other wonderful things that he has uh, for, our, for our attention here, for us to learn. And I can't wait to get through this book. Uh, just, just so, so much is chock full of so much truth and, and, uh, and powerful things that we could learn and use in our own lives. And so I hope that you're prepared to take notes. I hope that you're prepared to, to read and review this, uh, this gospel here and be a part of this on Sunday mornings. It's going to be a great, great year or so, that, that however long it takes us to get through it, but it's going to be great to get through this together. And with that, let's pray. Father, I ask for your strength. I ask for your help this morning. Give me what I stand in need of, Lord, to, to preach 
what I've learned and what you've taught me in private, Father. Help me to give that publicly to the people. I pray, Father, that the, that the people's hearts and minds will be open to receive your word and to allow the Holy Spirit to move them as you see fit. Father, bless us through this time. Give us the strength that we need from your word for this week. Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit will come down and, be, and join us and be with us as we go through your word this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, this morning's sermon is not going to be, uh, uh, I'm not going to be on top of the, the podium here shouting and uh, running down the top of the pews or anything like that. It's not going to be that type of a message. It's going to be a lot of learning here, a lot of reviewing here uh, since we're going through this genealogy. But trust me, you will learn something. You, you will uh, learn something that you could use for your own life, not just knowledge. It's going to be, it's going to be stuff that you can, uh, you can apply in your lives and that will help you in your Christian walk. So please... Uh, uh, pay attention, and, and, and you're going to have to pay attention if you're going to get anything out of it this morning, okay? So I want you to pay attention, uh, and I've got, uh, I think, four points this morning. First one being Abraham, the making of a nation. Abraham, the making of a nation. Verse 1 says, again, it says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, we must first note that this lineage is not a bloodline, okay? Uh, but rather a royal line. It's his royal line, marking the descendants' rights to the throne of Israel, okay? Then we see uh, who this uh, book pertains to, our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is not his actual name, but rather his title. It means the anointed one or the promised Messiah, Next, the reason these two men are named here is due to the covenant given to each man by God. David, the man after God's own heart, the king of Israel, was given a very special promise by God. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8 through 17, 2 Samuel 8, 7, 8 through 17, uh, you don't have to turn there, but this is where we see God speaking to Nathan the prophet through a vision and in this vision, God tells Nathan to give the word to David concerning a covenant that he is making with David and his seed after him. This is called the, 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 the Davidic covenant. Davidic covenant. Davidic. And in verse 16 of that chapter, we read, And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. After David, we see the name Abraham, the father of the Hebrew race. From the time that God called Abraham uh, away from his homeland, away from his family, away from those that he knew, he made a promise to him and to his posterity. Listen to our Lord speak to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. This is what he says. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee. And curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. What a covenant. What a promise. 
powerful. It may have taken a few centuries for the Lord to fulfill the last part of verse 3 there. But here in the Gospel of Matthew, we see that fulfillment taking place before our eyes today. So, in the first verse of Matthew, we see the fulfillment of two prophetic covenants given to these men by God. This should be a great reminder that God never forgets His promises. He, he, his timetable was not the same as our timetable. Of course, He made time for man. He didn't need time. He doesn't need time. Time was invented for mankind. But nevertheless, God makes do on His promises. Verse 2. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. In this verse, we see that Judah, or Judas, or Judah is, is, his, uh, is his name, uh, was mentioned as one of the sons of Jacob, but not any other. Not Joseph, not Levi. The, you know, the priestly uh, uh, rites came through Levi, but he wasn't mentioned. Judas, or Judah, is the only one that was mentioned here, of course, and his brethren, but they weren't mentioned by name. Uh, Judas is the Greek spelling of Judah, okay? That's why, there's two, that's why they're spelled differently. And you're going to see this all through this lineage, that the Greek spelling of these names are different from the Hebrew spelling, and that's why they're spelled differently here, but they're the, they're the same people, all right? The reason for Judah to be the only one mentioned uh, is because he is the one whose line our Lord came from. This was a promise to him uh, uh, from Jacob, his father, back in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. Uh, if you have been coming on Wednesday nights, you, we've just studied this because we was in chapter 38 uh, uh, when it talks about the history or the posterity of, of uh, Judah. And we had to go to chapter 49, verse 10, which I'm getting ready to read to you to figure out why he's even mentioned at all in the, uh, in the Genesis after chapter uh, 37. All right. Here, verse, verse 10 of chapter 49 of Genesis says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. This is no doubt a prophecy of the Messiah, uh, of the coming Messiah here, which would come from a, the direct line of Judah. Okay? Now to verse 3. It says, And Judas beget Pharaoh and Zerah of Thamar, and Pharaoh beget Ezram, and Ezram beget Aram. Here we have the first woman mentioned here within the line of Christ. Although it was rare for women to be mentioned in Jewish lineage, it did happen. And we're going to see it happens here four times. Thamar, or we know her as Tamar, uh, from, we know that from Genesis chapter 38, uh, was originally the chosen wife of Judah's firstborn son named Ur. But we all know that because of his wickedness, God killed him. He killed Ur. And after his death, Judah told his middle son to take her to wife. And God swiftly judged him also and killed him. If this wasn't bad enough, Judah pours sin on top of sin a few years later by having twins with her himself. His own daughter-in-law. Although he was tricked by Tamar... He was still guilty of infidelity. The thing about the Word of God is that it has never sugarcoated sin in anyone's life. If they did good, it gave the account of that good that they did. 
if they did bad or wickedly, they still gave the account of the wickedness that they did. Verses 4 and 5 says this, And Aram begat Amenadab, and Amenadab begat Nisan, and Nisan begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab, uh, and Boaz uh, begat Obad of Ruth, and Obad begat Jesse. I may be mispronouncing some of these names. Forgive me if I do. Here in verse 5 is the mention of the second woman in the line. Rahab, or we know her as, as Rahab the harlot. That's who, that's who we know her as. All right? Though she bears the title of harlot, that was her past. Okay, Let me clarify that. That was her past. Even though uh, God had forgiven her of her past and she, by faith, lived for God, the world still reminded her of her past, as it often does us. We've done some stupid stuff in our lives, haven't we? Especially in high school. We, we go to a high school reunion. We're not known for what we've done since then. We're known for what we did while we were there. Yeah. Same with her. This woman, though she was not a Hebrew... She is remembered in the Hebrews' Hall of Faith for what she did for God's people while in, uh, while in Jericho. Even James, the half-brother of our Lord, recognizes her in his, God, in his epistle for the work that she did in hiding the spies from those who would have slain them if they found them. In this same verse, we see this, the third woman mentioned, that of Ruth. Ruth. This lady was a Moabite. And if you remember our study in the book of Ruth... We went through that earlier, or maybe mid-last year, I think. You'll remember that the Moabites were a cursed people by God. We learned from our study of Ruth that the law stated the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. Forever. How long? How long is forever? It's a long time, man. It's forever. That was Nehemiah 13, 1, the last part of that verse. Yet we see that Ruth was called a virtuous woman. And was uh, known to be one. And that God allowed a book of the Bible to be named after her. And that it also gives a biography of her life. John Phillips says this about her. That her portrait is found in Proverbs chapter 31 verses 10 through 31. What's that? The, the, the virtuous woman, right? That is a, he says that it's an acrostic based on the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. That's interesting to know that. Then we come to point two. This is David, the molding of a king. David, the molding of a king. Verse six says, And Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. Okay, we come to the first in the royal line of our Lord here. That of King David. Remember that David was the seventh and the youngest of Jesse's sons. Yet God picked him over the others. A wonderful picture comes to mind when I think of God sending Samuel to Jesse's house that day to anoint David. Samuel is looking at Jesse's boys and he saw the oldest and he says, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Surely the, this, this strapping young man that's, that's tall and broad shoulder and, and standing up and he's got his sword with him. He may have been fighting or something. And he, he, surely he's the next king. 
Surely this has got to be the one. But what does God tell Samuel? I love what God told him at that moment. He says, look, not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I've refused him. For the Lord saith not as man saith, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. The Bible says that David was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance. It also says that he was a man after God's own heart. This was who God had anointed as king of Israel. But just as I mentioned earlier that the Bible gives the good and the bad of people, even David, the man after God's own heart, wasn't without his sin. In this same verse in Matthew, we read that he had a son. It says, Solomon, of her that had been the wife of Urias, or we know him as Uriah the Hittite. That's how we, that's how we know him in the Old Testament. Though she is not mentioned by name, we know that Uriah's wife, Solomon's mother, was Bathsheba. She is the fourth woman mentioned in the lineage of our Lord. While not much is known of her, we do know that she played a key role in ensuring that Solomon would take the throne after her husband David. Verse 7 says, And Solomon begat Rabon, and Rabon begat Abiah, and Abiah begat Asa. Now, we know Solomon became liberal at some point in his life, at some point in his reigning as king, by marrying many, many women. And we know that this sin caused him to commit even more sin, that of idolatry. Something his father, though his father committed sin, his father never committed idolatry. And because of this, God had bowed wrath to come upon the nation. But for David's sake, for David's sake, he would wait till after Solomon's death to open the vial. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, was not a good king. Though he may have sought for the wisdom of the old men when he first got into office, he did not heed that wisdom. He did not heed their advice. He went to a bunch of young punks, still in college probably, that didn't know A from Z, and asked him what he thought they thought he should do. And he took their advice in, instead. And him acting upon that advice, the majority of the nations of the nation of Israel was ripped from his hands with only two tribes staying with them. Therefore, it was at this point that we have the beginnings of the northern kingdom, the ten tribes that left Rehoboam, and the southern kingdom, the two, the two tribes that stayed with Rehoboam. Verse 8. And Asa begat Josaphat, and Josaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat uh, Uzziah. We know that Asa and jo Josaphat were good kings, but even good men are capable of raising bad children. Good people are, are capable of raising bad seeds, aren't they? Josaphat's child, Joram, was wicked, wicked king. Here some of you Bible scholars may notice that three kings were even left off the list. Wasn't, told, wasn't even named uh, uh, between Joram and Uzziah, or we know him as Uzziah. And Joram, we know him as Jehoram. Now, remember that this isn't a complete list. The, the, this list, this lineage here, isn't, isn't in order as far as completed. There are some names missing 
in between some of these other names. It, it does skip generations. But this list is complete enough for them to have proved the royalty of our Lord. It was complete enough for them to know that yes, He is, he is from the line of David. He has proof of His royalty there. The three kings that were skipped were Ahaziah, Joash, and Amaziah. All three of these men died violently. All three men were wicked. And they were descendants of the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. It may be that our Lord had Matthew to enact the law written over in Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 20 where it is said that He would blot out the wicked man's names from under heaven. These, these men must have been so wicked that God didn't even want them uh, mentioned anymore after they died. Verse 9 and 10 says, And Ozias begat Joatham, and Joatham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Ezekias, and Ezekias begat Manasseh, and Manasseh begat Amon, and Amon begat Josiah. So Uzziah, or Uzziah, as we know him, is the king that was struck with leprosy. I mentioned that one night, I think, on a Sunday, on a Sunday night through our journey in uh, Hosea. Because he entered into the temple uh, to offer incense, which is not the job of a king, but the job of the priest only. I think today, uh, a lot of our presidents, all of our presidents, seem to overstep the bound of, uh, of what's the leadership of a nation should be doing versus what they should not be doing that is meddling with the things of, of religion. They, shouldn't, they, they should keep their nose out of religion, aside of things. That's just my personal opinion. That does not cost any extra this morning. Okay? <clears throat> Jotham, Joatham, however you want to pronounce his name, he was a good king. But his son, Achaz, was not. He made molten images for Balaam. Achaz' son, is Ezekiah, excuse me, sometimes it takes me a while to get these names, Ezekiah, or Hezekiah as we know him. He was a good king, but he didn't end well. But his son Manasseh, he was an evil man who caused the people to sin more and more. But after a space, near the end of his life, he saw, he realized who God was and he became good at the end, there at the end. He finished well, but he didn't start off well. Ammon only reigned for two years and was wicked. His servants conspired against him and, he, and they killed him. However, Josiah was a great king and he did that which was right in the sight of God. In the sight of the Lord there. Then number three, we have Babylon, the measure of divine wrath. Babylon, the measure of divine wrath. This is 11 through 15. Let me read those to you right quick. And Josiah begat Jeconias and his brethren. About the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salatiel, and Salatiel begat Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begat Abiud, and Abiud begat Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azar, and Azar begat Sadok, 
and Sadoc beget Achim, and Achim beget Eliud, and Eliud beget Eleazar, and Eleazar beget Mathen, and Mathen beget Jacob. It was here at this time that the kingdom fell into the hands of Assyria. Jeconias only reigned for a couple of months before the nation fell. None of these men truly reigned as a king in a free nation after this. They may have been put in place of authority, some of them, but they were not true kings of a free nation. We need to look at something right quick with Jeconias here. This is very important to our study in Matthew. God was so mad at him that he cursed his posterity. Listen as I read the account of it over in Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 24 through 30. This is very important that we see this. This is God speaking. He says, As I live, saith the Lord, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet upon my right hand, yet would I pluck thee thence. And I will give thee into the hand of them that seek thy life, and into the hand of them whose face thou fearest, even into the, uh, the, excuse me, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. And I will cast thee out, and thy mother that bare thee, into another country where ye were not born, and there shall ye die. But to the land wherein, where, excuse me, whereunto thy, they desire to return, thither shall they not return. Is this man, Coniah, a despised, broken idol? Is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure? Wherefore are they cast out? And his seed, he, excuse me, he and his seed, and are cast into a land which they know not. O oh, earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless. A man that shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. God was angry. He was mad at this man. He said, nobody in your posterity is going to ever rule on the throne of David anymore. Because of this, listen, this is important. Because of this, Joseph could not have ever sat on the throne of Israel were there a throne for him to sit on. Did you get that? If there had been a throne in Israel, Joseph, though he was in the line, uh, the Davidic line of, of royalty, he couldn't have sat on that throne because he was a posterity of this, you know, this man here whom God hated. But though Joseph could not, Jesus could. Listen to what one commentator says about this. J. Vernon McGee. You know him. I quote him quite often. He says, you see, Joseph is in this line. But Joseph is not the natural father of Jesus. This is one of the most remarkable facts in the scriptures. And Matthew is trying to make it clear to us. He goes on. He says, Joseph gave to Jesus the title, the legal title to the throne of David because Joseph was the husband of Mary, who was the one who bare Jesus. Jesus Christ is not the seed of Joseph, nor is he, is he the seed of Jeconiah. But both Joseph and Mary had to be from the line of David, and they were, through two different lines, from two different sons of David. He says that because in Luke, that's Mary's line. 
She came from the line of David through Solomon's full brother, Nathan. And therefore, he was from the line of David on both sides of his family, of his parents there. Joseph being the stepfather. Now, number four, we have Christ, the mercy of God towards mankind. Christ, the mercy of God toward mankind. This is verses 16 and 17. Listen as I read. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David into the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. The promise of the Messiah was given to Adam and Eve after their fall. They were given that promise. Then Abraham was promised that the Messiah would come from his posterity. You may have noticed that up till now the word beget was used to show who fathered who. But when we get to Joseph, we see that he did not beget our Lord, but was the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Joseph was indeed Jesus' stepfather, not his father. In these 17 verses, we see that Matthew tells us that there are three different divisions of 14 generations apiece. These are three great errors of Hebrew history. The first division, or the error, is that of the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. You have these these men who by faith stood for God and did great things in His name. You have Ruth in this same error, a virtuous woman whose faith is forever recorded in the pages of Scripture. The second error is of David to the time of captivity, up to that time. This was the error of the monarchy. The king's reign. It began meagerly with Saul. But it turned to gold when David became king. But after his death, it slowly began to rust. The nation would never recover to those glory days of David. But it would continue to sink into ultimate degeneracy of what a nation can fall into. Then the third error was that of the captivity to the time of Christ. These are the 600 silent years. The majority of the names that we have written are unknown except for them being scribbled on the pages of of Matthew chapter 1. The list of names gives our Lord's right to the throne. A solid foundation. That's what it gives our, our Lord. It gives us, we know that He is from the royalty of King David. He is in line because of these names. However, it is not what one would expect to find in the lineage of a king, though, is it? You look at those names. Look at who we talked about just now. Would you expect a king to come from that kind of humble line, to be honest with you? You would have to say. But that is what our Lord came from. And that's why he came. That's what he came for. To break down the partition wall of race barriers. 
to break down the partition walls of the sexes in order that everyone would have the opportunity to be saved if they so choose. There is now no difference between the Jew and the Greek or, or the Gentile. No difference between man and woman in the fact that all have the opportunity to receive Christ as their Savior if they only choose to do so. What about sin? Is there a sin that would keep someone from coming to this king? Well, we just saw the lineage. What kind of sin and debauchery did we see in this lineage? Let's think for a moment. The king's lineage had four women mentioned. Tamar, an adulteress, who committed this act with her father-in-law. Rahab, the woman whose past was ever before her in her name. Rahab the harlot. Then we have Ruth. Yes, she was a virtuous woman. Bible, the Bible says she is virtuous in, in the book of Ruth there. The only woman named virtuous in the, book, in, in, the, in the Bible there also. But she was also of a country that, totally, that was totally condemned by God. Then we have Bathsheba. She also was an adulteress. Four women, yet they were each in the lineage of the king of kings. And what about some of the men? They were wicked and abhorred the things of God. They made molten images and caused Israel to sin and to commit idolatry. I say that Christ purposely was born of this lineage in order to show us that He did not come to look down upon mankind, but He came to lift them up out of the miry muck and clay and, 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 and to raise us up and to show us that he is, their, he is our Savior and He wants to save us. Hey, there's nobody under earth that cannot come to Christ if they so choose. There's no sin that we can commit that God says, All right, I'm done with you. We have that opportunity to come to Christ. He showed this in, a, in His lineage. He come for all of mankind, not just the perfect man. Not just the per perfect woman. He didn't come just for the virtuous. He came for the sinner. He's a friend of sinners. Christ the King is also our merciful Savior. And He's willing to save all. Who will come to him. Come unto me all ye who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest for your souls. This morning. Have you realized that you are a sinner. In need of Christ's salvation. Do you remember the time? You don't have to remember the, the exact date down to the second. But do you remember there was a time in your life that you, you realized that you were a sinner and that you, you was on your way to hell, but that Christ, you realized that Christ was here, that had come here to this earth to save you from your sins. He died on that cross for the sins of the world. And has there been a time in your life that you received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Your parents couldn't have done it for you. Your pastor couldn't do it for you. If I could do that for, for my congregation, I would do it. But I can't receive Christ for you. I can only receive Christ for me. Have you, have you received Christ as your Savior this morning? I want to end with a quote from Z.C. Ryle. He says, 
To know Christ is life eternal. To believe in Christ is to have peace with God. To follow Christ is to be a true Christian. To be with Christ will be heaven itself. Heavenly Father, I don't know the hearts of the people here this morning. I can only tell you that I trust in you, Father. I trust in your Son as my personal Lord and Savior. And I pray, Father, there's not, no one here that, that has never done that, Father. I pray that all the people here are saved, that all have trusted Christ as their Savior. But I don't know their hearts. And I pray, Father, that there's someone, if there is someone here listening to my voice, and they don't know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, that they will make today that day that they receive Christ, that they will make today that day that they know for sure that they can go to heaven when they die because they have Christ as their Savior. They have been redeemed from the ransom of sin. And they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, Father, don't let a wonderful day like today go by in these people's life, if they've never received Christ as their Savior, what better day than today to receive Him? Father, You know the hearts of the people. Convict those that need convicting. Pull on their hearts. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.